0: Some of you that haven't been with us for a while, either you've been gone or just kind of in and out uh, over the summer might know or might not know that on July 7th, that first Sunday in July, we started a series that we are calling Squad Goals, A One Another Summer. And uh, we have just a couple more weeks left of that, so I'm going to be sharing one of the one another's with you today. One of the amazing things about Scripture in the New Testament specifically is the New Testament really helps define what biblical community looks like. Okay? Biblical community. And the one another's, by the way, there are about 59 of them. The one another's, I just tend to think of it this way, I shared this last week, are kind of like the pieces of a big jigsaw puzzle. That you just continue to put them together, and the picture that results is the church. Think of how the church is referred to as the body of Christ. Your members of your body need other parts of your body, right? The church is referred to as the household of God as well. The church is referred to as a family throughout the New Testament. We are brothers, we are sisters in Christ. So there's so many beautiful metaphors, so many beautiful pictures of who the church is. And yes, we are to be on mission. Yes, we are to take the gospel to the world. But we deeply and desperately need one another as well. Amen? We absolutely do. Through the difficult times that we're going through and to be there for others through the difficult times that they're going through. But more than that, just spending time with one another. Just developing deep relationships with other believers is is a huge part of God's design for the church. So, we've talked about all kinds of one another's build up one another, encourage one another, love one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds, bear one another's burdens, love one another well. Here's what we're going to be looking at today. This is so convicting. <laughs> Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Any of you just do that with ease, naturally? Humility? Really? Yeah. Yes, that's what we're gonna be looking at together. You know, I, I've thought a lot about humility. Uh <laughs> because I'm not good at it, just not too good at it, I guess. And so this whole idea of being self-absorbed is something I struggle with, being very self-centered. You know, having in your life uh, yourself as the center of everything. You know, everything is a selfie, right? Got to be in every picture. And I think we're just, that's part of our fallen nature, isn't it? That's part of our sin nature that we inherited from, from Adam. Is we become self-centered and we don't think we need God. And some of us don't think we need other people all that much either. Because we can handle it. We're fine. And in reality, we are not. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. The humility uh, slogan to me means you first. You first. We could probably say God first, and then you first. And so, I don't know about you, but that whole concept that Scripture is so crystal clear about is so challenging. And yet, you know, God never gives us a command without providing the power through his Spirit, the resources that we need to grow in our obedience toward that command. 1 Peter chapter 5 is our text this morning. 1 Peter Peter chapter 5, if you have your Bible, why don't you turn there, please, with me. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. Now, all the verses will be up on the screen, so I hope that'll be helpful to you. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 7 is our text. I love the fact that Peter wrote a couple books in the New Testament Because you talk about somebody who was there, who lived it, who walked with Jesus, who was commended, and who really blew it. That's Peter. The one who God used to become just an amazing leader in his church. This is scripture. The author of scripture ultimately is the Holy Spirit, God himself. But I love the fact that these are the words of Peter to his church, not just in the first century, but to us as well. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. He writes, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing As God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherds shepherd, that's Jesus, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you are you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, we're going to be looking at a number of characteristics of biblical humility. What is biblical humility? What does it mean to to really live this out? What does it mean to be humble like Jesus was humble? It's interesting that in this passage, Peter begins by talking to the leaders of the church. Look at verse 2 with me again. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. Being an elder, being an overseer, that's the other term that's used, being a leader in the church of Jesus Christ, which is a very humbling but high calling of God to serve in that role at a church, is something that you need to feel called by God to do, that you're willing. You're not coerced to do it. You want to do it because you believe God has called you to do it willingly, he says, not because you must. He goes on to give a second reason. He says, being eager to serve is a characteristic of a leader in the church, an elder in the church. Being willing to serve, not because you can gain something, but because you want to serve. And then I love verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You see the contrast here? You know, anyone who wants to step into any kind of leadership role as a Christian to grab power, to be the boss, to be in control is the antithesis of what God has called leaders to be who name the name of Christ. I I love the term servant leader. I I really love that term because I think that's really a very biblical term. Jesus was the ultimate servant leader, wasn't he? For the son, Son of Man did not come... To be served, but to serve and to give his life. He defines leadership right there so beautifully. Leaders in the church are first and foremost humble servants of Christ, they have godly character. Now, what's so interesting to me is this kind of leadership is not just applicable to the church. As a Christian, you and I are to live out servant leadership. In our workplace, if we're in positions of leadership, if we're in positions of influence, if we have people who, of whom our decisions deeply affect, do you know we're leaders in our homes? Parents are leaders in their homes. Because the idea of leadership is the idea of influence. Are we influencing for good as a servant in our homes? You know, you probably, like me, have had a variety of bosses, especially if you're older like me. (laughs) And I've had some servant leader bosses, and I've had some tyrants. I remember working in fast food. I'm not saying anything bad about fast food, but I can remember in my high school years, college years, having some very, very challenging bosses. Um... I want to be the kind of leader that's described here, and I hope you do too, a servant leader, a person who gives their life so that others will be built up so that others will be encouraged. You know, it's always important to think like a team. Some of the leaders that I have struggled with, maybe that you've struggled with as well in your, in your life, are people who clearly uh, have an agenda and you exist to serve their agenda. That's no fun to be in that relationship with a boss, is it? Some of us have had bosses, have had people in authority over us who are all about respecting us, empowering us, developing us, helping us flourish. One of the great ways that we function as servant leaders is we serve others to help them become all that God has created them to be, right? Those are the best kinds of leaders. They make everyone around them better. And some of us have been blessed to have leaders like that in our lives. Here's my first thought, my first characteristic. Humility shapes leadership. In this passage, humility shapes leadership. The essence of the leaders in the church is one of service, one of character, one of imitating Jesus. That's his whole point. Leaders are in a position of influence and power. They make decisions. They have authority. And that can be abused very easily. And yet God calls leaders in his church to be the opposite. To encourage. To listen well. To affirm. To value. Humility shapes leadership. He moves from talking to the elders here and kind of uh, having leadership tied to humility. He goes on in verse 5 to address all of us. Listen to verse 5 again. It says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. Look at this. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God's opposed to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. I love this word, clothe. Clothe yourself. That's so interesting to me. Our clothes, clothes are a covering, but our clothes are more than that. Our clothes are kind of part of our identity in some ways. Our clothes, that's why fashion and style is such an enormous, enormous, enormous industry is our clothes say something about us. Our clothes say something about our identity. Some of you know, cause I share pretty much every time I speak here that I have six grandchildren. Let me tell you one of the ways little boys and little girls are different. Okay? So I've, I have three grandsons and three granddaughters. My grandsons do not play dress-up. They don't have this whole closet devoted to princess clothes and makeup. My granddaughters do. Absolutely. That's one of their favorite things to do. And no, I have never subjected myself to having my fingernails painted, makeup put on, you know, eyeshadow. I haven't done that. I draw the line as a grandpa when it comes to that kind of stuff. I do. But this whole idea of your clothes, being clothed in something, is an identity phrase. It really is. It's talking about how you present yourself. And, and one of the things about our clothing as well is it's kind of our self-expression in a sense, isn't it? There's a book, some of you my age will remember this book, early 80s. Dress for what? Success. Dress for success. Actually, we're supposed to dress for humility. I'm not sure what that looks like, but we're to clothe ourselves with humility. That's what this passage says. Very challenging, I think. Humility should... Cover and define us. That's his point. It was interesting. I did a little word study of the word clothe. It appears so many times in Scripture. It's a fascinating word study, the word clothe or clothed, ED. And I just, I, I just wanted to pull out three of these real quickly. You can jot these down. They're not on the screen. Psalm 30, verse 11. That's a psalm that David wrote. And David says to the Lord, You have clothed me with joy and splendor. Psalm 104, verse 1, the psalmist writes regarding God. He says, you are clothed with splendor and majesty. Listen to this one. Galatians 3, verse 27, the apostle Paul writes, all who are in Christ Jesus are clothed with Christ. Clothed with Christ. You understand the imagery here? It has to do with your identity. Identity. It has to do with what people see and notice about you. Now, let me give you a thought, and I wonder, I wonder how this would work for you. I want you to imagine that somebody comes to you and says, hey, I want to know more about Sarah over here. She seems like she's pretty awesome. You've known her for a long time, right? You're good friends with her, right? Yes. When you think of Sarah... What are the top one, two, three characteristics that just immediately come to your mind when you think about her? That person goes, oh, that's easy. Humility. Humility is number one. I mean, she's a lot of other things. Humility, though, would be at the top. Because she clothes herself with humility. Here's my question to me. Would humility be, even be part of my list? Top 10, top 20, top 50. <laughs> I'll stop there. When people think of you, is the word humble, the word humility, does that rise to or near the top of the list? That's what he's telling us. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. You know, we have to fight against our self-centeredness, don't we? We have to fight with the, you know, constant selfie where we're the center of everything. We have to fight against that because our nature is to be so self-consumed, isn't it? And some of us are very sophisticated and have found all kinds of ways to really get our way and not be real overt about it. I still get my way a lot. I just have kind of figured out how to do that. I know how to manipulate. I know how to ask questions. I know how to get in line first. (laughs) Clothe yourselves with humility. My dear friends, when people think of you, is the word humility in the discussion? That's a challenge to me because I have a lot of growing to do in this area. Humility should cover and define us like clothes. Okay, well, I want to move on. We're still looking at verse 5 because verse 5 has another phrase. And this one is like even more (laughs) convicting to me. Verse 5, same way, younger, submit. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Look at this. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God opposes The proud. Now I want you to know. Because this is really important to understand. The context of this passage. Are believers. Okay. Sometimes in the Old Testament. The word proud is used for non-believers. Non-Christians. But in this context. And he's quoting Proverbs chapter 3 verse 34. From the Old Testament. In this context. He's talking to Christians. And it says. God is opposed to the proud. God is opposed. Really? Is that scary to you? That's scary to me. That I could be so self-consumed and so arrogant that God would be opposed to me. I don't believe that means that he no longer loves me or he has cast me aside. I don't believe it means that. And when I humble myself, myself before him. He gives me grace. He gives me favor. God is opposed to the proud, but gives favor or grace. Another translation, gives grace to the humble. So that's why I've termed this next characteristic, humility is life with a tailwind. Let me, let, me, let me unpack my illustration for you. Humility is life with a tailwind. Okay, I like to ride my bike. It's one of my favorite things I do. I ride a stationary bike during, during the winter when I go to the Y, when the weather's bad, and I don't like it very much, but I do it because I need to do it. But once the weather starts getting nice, I'm outside. And when I say my bike, I mean my bicycle, not my Harley. I don't have a Harley. I mean my bicycle, where you pedal and your heart rate goes up, and it's awesome. It's really good stuff. Now, about two years ago, Kathy and I, we... We, this is our third house in 17 years we've lived in the area. We lived in Warsaw, bought a house in Winona Lake two years ago, bought a different house in Winona Lake. So before we moved to where we currently live, I had a bike route that was incredibly simple. I got on King's Highway, and I rode all the way up. King's Highway becomes Pierston Road. Most of you know that. And I would ride all the way up to the booming metropolis of downtown Pearson Road. And I turn around. And I'd go back kind of boring, but I didn't get lost. And that was a good thing for me. So straight out, turn around straight back. Now, as I became more and more of a writer, a cyclist, I guess, um, I'd always, I'd go to, I mean, one of my favorite websites, weather.com. It's awesome. It's great. Go to weather.com. What's the temperature? Okay. What's the humidity like? Check that out. How about precipitation? Maybe even glance at the radar. Is it gonna rain while I'm out? And then we'd get to the wind. Any of you that ride bikes, any of you that run, oh the wind. The wind can be your enemy. It really can't. Because here's what I found when I ride my bike into a headwind. If that headwind is only two miles an hour, three miles an hour, I don't even really feel it. It's nothing. It's great. But sometimes that headwind is 15 miles an hour, is 20 miles an hour. Now, let me tell you, when you're, when you're going into a, ta- when you have a tailwind, and then you turn around, and that tailwind becomes a headwind, really uh, Really different. When it's the tailwind, you're just flying. It's awesome. It's almost effortless. And people like me, who every time I do anything, I time myself. I'm like a psycho uh, competitive person. My wife would say amen. You'd hear amens from my family if, if you heard they heard me say that. I am. I'm always, okay, is this my best time? And I know that's crazy. So God's working on that with me. But, you know... I'd look at my time when I have a 15 mile an hour tailwind, 18 mile an hour tailwind on my way up to Pierston, and say, man, I feel good today. This is so great. And then I would turn around. Boom. And it's like, Ugh! you know, it's like struggling to even pedal. And it might take me 20. This is, this is about a 15 mile bike ride. I do seven and a half up, seven and a half back. It would take me, you know, maybe 25 to get up there. And 50 to get home. Min- I'm talking minutes. It's like this is no fun. God is opposed to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. When you're full of pride. And God is opposed to you. It's like living life in a headwind. When you humble yourself before God. And experience his grace. It's like living life with a tailwind. Don't hear me saying it's easy. I'm not saying It's easy. Now, here's what I'm saying. When you live your life in humility before God and you cry out to God and you understand how desperately you need him every single day, what does he do? He pours his grace out into your life. And some of the struggle and pain and effort and frustration is not there because he is the wind of your back. (laughs) We call that living in grace. And it's a beautiful thing. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying he's with you and it's different. It is so different when I live my life and I go portions and periods of my life when it's all about me and it's all about me being a problem solver. And it's all about me saying, Jesus, I'll, I'll call on you when I need you. And it's all about me. Manipulating. Trying to make things happen for myself to get advantage. It's like living into a headwind. Some of you. <laughs> I just thought of this song. Bob Seeger, against the wind. Some of you. Who's Bob Seeger, Some of you saying. No, he was a singer. Okay. 60s and 70s. Against the wind. Been running against the wind. That's good theology to me. When it means God is opposed to you. It's no fun living against the wind, my friends. It's no f- fun riding your bike, but it's worse living your life where you say, God, I really don't need you. And you're so full of yourself and your own pride and your own arrogance. God's opposed to the proud. I first thought to scare you. I almost tripped. <laughs> that would have been humbling. God says, be careful, Jeff. He gives grace to the humble. Don't you want to live in the center of his grace? Don't you want to be able to say to him, Lord, give me that tailwind of your grace, of your presence, of your peace, of your wisdom, of your joy. That's what I want. And my friends, I think we just need to ask him for that. I'm moving my stand. Okay. We're going to go on to verse six. I love this one too. Verse six goes on to say, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So the focus is the word, two words, humble yourselves. Okay. I want you to think about this with me. Many of the times in your life, think about the times in your life where you have been humbled, where you feel humble or have been humbled. It's often the fact that you've been humbled, right? You didn't initiate it. (laughs) God did our people did you see you see very often our humbling is because something really difficult or hard or we're experiencing the consequences of our own wrong choices or sins humble us the command is humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that is so hard to do you know, many of us will say, man, I don't need to do it myself. God humbles me all the time. Well, okay. Are we, uh, are we listening? <laughs> are we getting the point? That's something I need to ask myself. Am I, am I listening? So that's my fourth characteristic. Humility should be a choice. It should be a choice. Not just a reaction or a response. It should be a choice that we make. Lord... Help me to walk humbly. Help me to live in greater dependence upon you. Lord, help me in situations I'm in to not talk about myself. Lord, help me in situations where I know the answer and I'm the smartest guy in the room and all these things that I tell myself and lie about to myself. Help me to be teachable. Help me to be receptive. Help me to listen better. These are things I have to pray for myself. And maybe you do too. Humility is a choice. Father... Help me to be more humble. I bet you have people in your life who just epitomize humility, don't you? I've had people in my life who just, they live for Jesus. They just really live for Jesus. And often you can tell how people, who people really are when life is profoundly difficult and, and, and painful to them. And I love the fact that there are people I know who in the midst of their pain are praising Jesus. And God's brought a few of those people in my life recently, and I'm so grateful for them. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus right before he baptized Jesus, John the Baptist said in, a, in one verse, one phrase, what I think is the biblical definition of humility. John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. That's it, my friends. Biblical humility is not saying I'm useless, I'm worthless, I'm nothing. Jesus certainly didn't think that. The Father certainly didn't think that. He must increase. I must decrease. That's it. That's what it's about. We want to live life that points people to Christ, that brings glory to Christ, that people see Jesus in us, that's biblical humility. He must increase. I must increase. Back in verse 6, you might have seen this too. This is such an interesting thing as well. It says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, this last phrase, that he may lift you up in due time. That he may lift you up in due time. Now, one of the interesting things to me, as somebody who likes to study the Bible and has access to a lot of good resources, is when scholars or people, commentators who, who study scripture a lot, give their thoughts. And so I obviously, when I was, knew I was going to study this passage, I'm just so interested in what due time means. Or some versions say, in, proper, in its proper time. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up or exalt you in due time or in the proper time. And so some of the debate is, is that going to happen in this life or is that in eternity? You know, when we see Christ, what does that mean? Here's my bottom line. In due time means in God's time. And it may not be in this life. Your being lifted up, your exaltation, your being recognized for your life and what you've done may not happen in this life. But what this passage is promising us is if we walk humbly before Christ, God will lift us up. One version even says exalt us in his way and his time. And we got to be good with that. We got to be good with that. You see, we don't live to plead Jesus for the reward. (laughs) We don't live to honor Christ because we want to be recognized for our great godliness or great humility. That's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Great humility. He'll lift you up in his time, God's time, due time. And that's my number five point, is that humility is seen and rewarded by God. It may not be by man. Well, Peter undoubtedly knew that his own experience of living a life of humility was going to be deeply challenging. It had been. I mean, again, this is Peter. Think of all that Peter went through. And so I love the fact that he gives us this word of incredible encouragement in verse 7. When he says this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Living a life of others first, living a life of complete submission and surrender to Christ, whatever the personal cost that may be to you, is hard. If living life consistently with humility was easy, we'd all be a whole lot more humble, right? But we're not. Because we tend to always want to be in the, in the selfie. <laughs> we want to be in the middle. We want to be in the center of our own universe. We want to get our way. We want to be first in line. I'm talking about me. Probably you too. And so Peter says, you know, I know this is tough. I know this is excruciatingly hard. But you got one who's going to walk beside you. And more than anyone else who ever walked on this earth epitomized humility. So you cast your cares on him. You come to him when you're wondering if the way you're living your life is worth it. A life of self-sacrifice, a life of service, a life of behind the scenes, a life of saying to other people, you first. Not me, you first. A life of zero glory. You cast your, your cares upon him. Because you need to know. He cares deeply for you. That's such an encouragement, isn't it? That living a life of humility. Is seen by Jesus. He sees it. He knows it. And that's my, my final thought. Humility is not lived out alone. Jesus is right with us. You know, living a life of humility makes you very vulnerable. Any of you love being vulnerable? I hate being vulnerable. I hate it. Or weak. Or insecure. It's hard. And yet there's one who walks beside us. Our protector, our refuge, our strength. So choose humility. (laughs) Choose a life of humility. Clothe yourself with humility, is what we're told. As I wrap up, I I just want to ask you a couple quick questions as we as we finish here. And we're gonna Kyle's gonna come and close us with a beautiful song. How do you respond when you're being humbled? How do you respond to that? Do you submit to it? Are you teachable? Versus being really defensive or arguing? Do you want to live a life? This is my second question. Do you want to live a life with a tailwind as opposed to a headwind? <laughs> God's opposed to the proud, He gives His grace to the humble, He gives His grace. To the humble. And I pray that that's the route. You and I choose. Let's pray father. Thank you for your word. Oh these words are so deeply challenging father. Humility just just flies in the face of so much about our our nature. Our sin nature. Our selfishness. And yet you Lord Jesus. In every sense, in every way, modeled that humility to us. We don't want your opposition. We want your favor. We want your grace. We want your strength. We want you to increase as we decrease. That is our heart's cry to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you walk with us through all these challenges of life. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.